Grey Aliens. Welcome back to These Are the Words. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness gracious. I am at an all time high of two listeners, one of them being myself. <laughs> uh, I'm going to continue with The Struggle for the Birthright by God's Kingdom Ministries. Judah's Rebellion Against King Jesus The entire conflict between Absalom and David was prophetic of the conflict between the bad figs of Judah and Jesus, the son of David. Absalom represented the bad figs David represented the good figs, particularly Jesus Christ. Amnon, the rapist, represented the lawlessness of the nation's leadership in general. Strong's concordance gives the meaning of his name as faithful tracing its root to the Hebrew word Amon Root to the Hebrew word Amon, to build up or support, to foster as a parent or nurse, to build up or support Amon, to foster as a parent or nurse. Young's Concordance says Amnon means tutelage or upbringing. In other words, 
Amnon's name appears to indicate the idea of rearing children, building them up, supporting them, or fostering them in order to bring them into maturity. The children of Judah were being reared and taught to know the mind of God through the divine law. The law itself is the tutor by which children are brought into the maturity of the mind of Christ. Galatians 3.24, 4.2 Yet when the law is applied legalistically apart from the mind of Christ, it has the effect of raping the bride of Christ. Tamar's name means erect, upright, or a palm tree. She represented the true believers in Judah, that is, the good figs. As a woman, she also represents the true bride of Christ. There are at least two ways There are at least two ways of looking at this prophetic parable. First, the story of Amnon shows how the leaders of Judah would rape the bride of Christ. Their religious traditions nullify the divine law, Matthew 15:6, and made them lawless. In the centuries from Judah's return from Babylon to the birth of Jesus, the Pharisees and Sadducees of Judah slid steadily into a hypocritical form of religious lawlessness. A second way of looking at Amnon is that he represented the divine law itself. Because of the lawlessness of Judah, God's law had decreed that they would be given an iron yoke under Babylonian masters in a 70-year captivity followed by a longer period of time under a wooden yoke. They were still under a Roman wooden yoke at the time that Jesus was born. In essence, the divine law was their tutor, and by these judgments, God was teaching them obedience. He was also hiring other nations as tutors first, Babylon, then Medo-Persia, then Greece, and now Rome. In an extended sense, then Amnon tutelage, Amnon tutelage was prophetic of these other empires 
that were lawless and oppressive. They had raped the bride of Christ, Tamar. There were many injustices perpetrated. There were many injustices perpetrated upon the people of Judah during those centuries. They longed for freedom and for justice. They did not comprehend that the yokes of iron and wood were God's lawful judgment upon the nation for their sin. Hence, like Absalom, they became dissatisfied, thinking that God, David, was unfit to rule them, for he seemed to do nothing in spite of all their religious activity. And so, And so, like Absalom, they did unlawful things to force God's hand. Absalom burned Job's, Joab's barley field. In our book, The Barley Overcomers, we show that the barley represents the overcomers applicable here to the good figs of Judah. Specifically, it prophesies of the prophets who were all killed at Jerusalem, culminating with the last of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, whom Herod imprisoned and ultimately executed. This was the final act of barley burning that brought Absalom into the presence of David, John's rejection and imprisonment. Then was the event that began Jesus' public ministry. It brought the Absalom people into the presence of King Jesus, son of David. 2 Samuel 14.33 says, the king kissed Absalom. This speaks of Jesus coming face to face with the chief priests of Jerusalem. Jesus blessed, or quote-unquote kissed, the nation with many good works and miracles of healing. But as Psalm 109, 3-5 says, They repaid his goodness and love with evil and with hatred. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers, but I am in prayer. Thus they have repaid me evil for good and hatred for my love. The bad figs of Judah, led by their religious leaders in the temple, wanted a Messiah who would be a great military leader so that he could overthrow the hated Romans and make slaves out of the rest of the world. They believed in world peace after the world was subdued by military conquest. This was their concept of the Messiah. And so when Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, they utterly disagreed with his methods. In their estimation, he simply was not the Messiah type. 
There are two princes of peace in the prophetic story of David. Absalom was the first. His name is Absalom, father of peace. The second is Solomon, which also means peace. Both of these men were sons of David. Hence, they were both princes. But Absalom was a prince of peace, who was hypocritically named father of peace. Solomon, on the other hand, established true peace in Israel, and in that way was a type of Christ, the true Prince of Peace. Absalom disagreed with David for apparently doing nothing after Amnon raped Tamar. He demanded justice, and when none was forthcoming, he overthrew David and usurped his throne. Likewise, in Jesus' day, the people disagreed with God for seeming to do nothing about Rome's rape of people of Judah. The people prayed to God to do them justice, and when none was forthcoming, they overthrew King Jesus and usurped his throne. Jesus was the God of the Old Testament. Known first as El Shaddai, and later as Yahweh, or an alternate version is Yahweh. He was the lawgiver that Moses knew face to face in his pre-incarnate existence as God in heaven. Jesus did nothing to free the people from their wooden yoke under Medo-Persia, Greece, or Rome. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, coming to Earth, he again did nothing to set the people free of the wooden yoke of Rome, even though he had the power to do so. Why? The people could not comprehend it, but Jesus understood the law of tribulation, and so, like David. He appeared to do nothing. Like Absalom, the bad figs totally disagreed with this do-nothing policy. And like Ahithophel, even Judas, the disciple of Jesus, agreed with the bad figs. One would think then that Absalom would have learned. Not to commit the crime of rape, but Absalom himself ended up raping all of David's concubines at the advice of Ahithophel. This story is told in 2 Samuel 16:20 20-23. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, "Give your advice. What shall we do?" And Ahithophel said to Absalom. Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines. In the sight of all Israel, and the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if 
one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. It is peculiar that so many people who accuse others of injustice are guilty of the same things. In this case, it speaks prophetically of the abuse of Israel, the wife of God. The chief priests thought God was unjust in allowing Rome to rule them, but yet they themselves abused the people even more than the Romans ever did. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 2-15, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, and they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while, even while for a pretense you make long prayers, even while for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you shall receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, or proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. In raping the wife of God, they made themselves odious to the Father. 2 Samuel 16.21 Precisely as Ahithophel had said, In Matthew 21, Jesus told a parable of the kingdom in which he described the Jewish leaders of the day plotting to usurp the Messiah's throne. The vine growers or farmers in God's vineyard had been given authority over the vineyard in order to render to the owner, God, the fruits in their seasons. When the owner of the vineyard sent servants to collect the fruits, the farmers beat them, stoned them, and sometimes killed them. Matthew 21, 35, 36. Finally, he sent his son, thinking they would surely reverence his son. But verse 38 says, But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Absalom knew that his father was the king, and for that reason he usurped the throne. Likewise, so also did the chief priests know that Jesus was the heir. They killed him because they knew who he was. It was a deliberate revolt and rebellion to seize his inheritance.
Take note also that the Romans were not the vine growers. They had not been given custody of the kingdom of God, nor had they killed the prophets. Nor had they killed the prophets, who were the king's servants in the same parable. The Romans did not crucify Jesus. In fact, Pilate wanted to release Jesus. Acts 3.13 John 19.15-18 tells us who did the crucifying. They therefore cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he, Pilate, then delivered him to them, the chief priests, to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they, the chief priests, crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. In the days following Pentecost, the Jewish leaders of the Sanhedrin objected to Peter's preaching, saying he intended to bring this man's blood upon us. Acts 5.28 In other words, the Jewish leaders accused Peter of holding them accountable for Jesus' crucifixion. Peter responded in Acts 5.30, saying, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. But perhaps the most important passage showing the connection between the chief priests of the Sanhedrin and Absalom's usurpation of David's throne is found in Acts 7.51-53, where Stephen gives his sermon rehearsing the story of God's kingdom. His sermon ended with this, You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears are always in the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Let me start over. You men are stiff-necked. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute. And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. In Matthew 22, 1-7, Jesus told another parable that was directed against the chief priests. Those who had first been called to the wedding feast refused to come. In fact, they abused the messengers, prophets, who had invited them to the wedding. 
we read. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves, God's prophets, and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and set their city on fire. This was obviously. Fulfilled in 70 A.D., when God sent the Roman army to set Jerusalem on fire and to destroy those murderers. Yes, Amen. This was obviously fulfilled in 70 A.D. when God sent the Roman army to set Jerusalem on fire and to destroy those murderers. In other words, God used the Romans to execute judgment upon Jerusalem. It's <laughs> a good song. God did not send His armies to destroy Rome, because they were not the murderers mentioned in verse seven. To blame the Romans for Jesus's crucifixion would be a false accusation that is certainly prohibited in the divine law. Deuteronomy 19:16-20. Yes, many today prefer to blame the Romans many today prefer to blame the Romans because it is more politically correct and because it makes it easier to convert Jews to Christianity. In doing this, however, we dishonor God by disagreeing with His word. We believe the word to be inspired scripture, and our purpose is to teach what it says. For only the truth sets people free. So let us not be found as false witnesses. We also admonish our Christian brethren to rid themselves of any emotional hatred that they might have toward Jews or any other people. Such things are unbecoming. In those who profess the name of Jesus Christ, it is one thing to believe and teach what is written in the scriptural record. It is quite another to harbor hatred and bitterness in one's heart. While we certainly affirm that the ironic priests crucified Jesus, we must also understand the necessity of this sacrifice at their hands. They were, after all, the only ones qualified to offer this great sacrifice. 
Without them, Jesus' sacrifice would have been unacceptable by the divine law. These priests could not have been Roman, Edomite, or of any other descent, for that would have violated the law of sacrifice. <laughs> Hence, in the bigger picture of the plan of God, they unintentionally did us all a great service. These priests could not have been Roman, Edomite, or any of any other descent, for that would have violated the law of sacrifice. Hence, in the bigger picture of the plan of God, they unintentionally did us all a great service. I'll pick it up uh, next time in the, the, for the rest of uh, chapter 6. Um, Judas, the son of perdition. Wow, it's quite heavy stuff. It's pretty heavy stuff, man. Uh, hope you enjoyed the music. I just put on Pandora and uh, put on the playlist that I had. got a song for you guys fields of gold Speaking of which, speaking of being on a plane, uh, I'll play this song for you. Pretty good song. Beautiful song. Shopping with Google helps you find whatever you're looking for. Uh, for your favorite song. Advertisement. <laughs>
Thank you guys. God bless. Take care.